today we are on Choose Life. We have reached a point in Deuteronomy. It's very near the end. How many more, how many more weeks of Deuteronomy, Isaac? One, right? This is the penultimate, uh, penultimate topic, the penultimate weekend, the second last weekend on Deuteronomy. We are at this moment where for the last three chapters, Moses, speaking on behalf of God, leading the people of God, has been, he has been bringing everyone to a point of decision. And how he's brought everyone to this point of decision is that he opens up if I may put it this way, two boxes. There, is, there are two boxes, and he's been doing this throughout the last few chapters. In chapter, there's the curse box, and there is the blessings box. There is the death box, and there is the life box. And he's been filling stuff into these two boxes since chapter 37, 27. And maybe even before that, but, but it, it was just too much research for me to just dig back and start allocating what goes where. But suffice to say, since chapter 27, 27 specifically, 27 verse 15 to 26, all the curses that was, would be pronounced at Mount Ebal, all that goes into the curse box. Guys, if ABC, it is a curse. If XYZ, it is a curse. This will cause you to die. This will cause you to live not long in the land. This will cause your future to be cut short. And he puts down one thing after another into this so-called curse box. And then, sorry, curse, red is this side. I have to, I have to get this right. <laughs> I have to get this right. <laughs> he puts it all into the curse box. And then he opens up a life box. And he says, if such and such a situation, then this will give you life. You will live long in the land. He says this in Deuteronomy uh, 28, verses, the first 14 verses. He's saying that if you obey the Lord, there will be life. You will live long in the land. It will be good for you. There will be blessing. There will be rain. There will be this. There will be that. There will be sun. There will be all these things. And then he pivots back to the curse box again, right? 28, verse 15 to 16. It's a long passage. It's horrific passage. Just so, just so you don't remember, X weeks ago, Pastor Chiu was preaching about, about going from curses to blessings. Chapter 28, verse 15 to 68 is some of the most horrific parts of the Bible you will ever read. But if you haven't got horrific enough, don't worry, we've got more. Later this year, we're doing judges, okay? But, but just in case you're not for horrific parts of the Bible, good, we are past this point. The, the, the curses for the disobedience are so many. And then he tells you about the blessings of covenant. Being in covenant gives you all of these blessings. And then he goes on to articulate it before he comes back to this box again and says, here are all the curses for disobedience and for breaking covenant. And he's been setting it up. It's actually very similar to what Jesus does at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You're familiar with Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7, he starts saying, there are two roads. Right? There are two ways. There are two trees. There are two types of prophets. There are two foundations. Right? There are two. There, there, and, and, and he starts showing you. He, after a long sermon, he leads you to the point of a fork in the road. And he says, as Jesus says, right? Jesus says, now choose you this day which foundation you will build on. Choose you this day which road you will be on. Choose you this day. And he keeps bringing people to a point of decision. Same thing in Deuteronomy. Moses has been preaching long sermons and he's reached a point where he's set everything up. Everybody knows these two boxes. Everybody knows on one side there is life. On the other side there is death. One side there is blessing. The other side there is a curse. And then he puts them to a decision. A decision. Every one of us reaches a point of decision in our lives. Some of you have to make decisions from early morning. The moment you wake up, you have to make decisions. Some of you are smarter. You automate all your early morning decisions. Your breakfast is already there. Whatever clothes you want to wear is already there. You wake up, you just, you just autopilot and you go through so you don't get decision fatigue by the time you arrive at work, right? But every single one of us has to reach a point 
where God confronts us with the reality of what He's been saying to us and He brings us to a decision. Choose which way to go. I'm going to read for you the whole chapter 30 because the whole chapter 30 is important. It builds up like one wave cresting over another. So bear with me, but it's good to hear the Word of God in the house. Now, if reading and following on the screen kind of like gets you distracted so, such that you're actually following but your brain is not really picturing it, then I want to invite you to close your eyes and just hear the Word and allow the Word to wash over you, okay, if that's so. But if actually tracking it on the screen helps you to picture it, helps you to focus, then by all means, track it that way. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to read it off this screen. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And when all these things came upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where Yahweh your God has driven you and return to Yahweh your God, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then Yahweh your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh, your God, has scattered you. Let's look at the next verse. Let's. Oops, this thing is not working. Guys, can, maybe upstairs can uh, help me click through uh, to the next slide. Verse 4. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there, Yahweh your God will gather you. And from there, He will take you. And Yahweh, your God, will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Then Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your offspring so that you will love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And Yahweh, your God, will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. Verse 8, And you shall again obey the voice of Yahweh, and keep all His commandments that I command you today. Yahweh, your God, will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For Yahweh will again take delight in prospering you, as He took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of Yahweh, your God, to keep His commandments and His statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. One more slide. Verse, verse 11, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh, your God, that I command you today by loving Yahweh, your God, 
by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And Yahweh, your God, will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going, to, going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death Blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. That you and your offspring may live. Loving Yahweh, your God. Obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days. That you may dwell in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of this word. Father, I pray that Your word will come alive today. Father, I pray that Your word will lead all of us to a place of a renewal and a place of a decision for You. I pray that there will be less of me, more of You. May I decrease, may You increase, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's get into the Word. But just before I get into it, I want to tell you a little story. Now, it was quite many years ago um, that I heard this. I'll be honest, I don't remember which friend told me, okay? But I think it was a doctor friend. The story goes like this, real account, right? There was a school holiday, um, and, and this friend uh, was in the, ho in the hospital. I think they worked in the hospital, so I think it was a doctor friend who told it to me, right? School holiday, suddenly for one whole week, a lot of 12-year-old Malay boys were coming into the hospital. They were all coming into the hospital with their mothers, and over in one particular section of the hospital, every day from X o'clock to Y o'clock, these little 12-year-old boys would be screaming and crying and pleading with their mothers, say, jangan ma, jangan tana, tana ma, yeah. and, then, and, and it would be so traumatic because for one whole week, every boy is, who walks in is pleading and crying, saying, please, the one, please, the one, help me, I beg you, the one. And I remember that it was described to me, one boy ran to the door and put the hands on it, and he's like, please don't, mother was on the other side. And I think one of the, one of the hospital, the nurses had to come and bring the boy, you know, back into one of the rooms for a very small but significant surgery called Sunat, <laughs> circumcision. Right? Circumcision. And that's why every Muslim boy at about 12 years old, coming of age, goes through circumcision. Jewish boys go through it as well, not quite at the same age. But I don't know if some of you hearing this will squirm at the pain of it because you are relieving your own circumcision or maybe some of you are going like, I'm sure it must have been really painful but I have no idea what it really, what it really feels like. But my friends, those little boys, especially the one who ran to the door and put his hands on the glass, they're like, ah! <laughs> I think the horror of their fear uh, uh, speaks for itself. Circumcision equals Pain. Circumcision equals fear and pain. Now, I'm not here to preach to you about the circumcision uh, that those boys um, were going through, but I've got three things that I want to share with you today that we are seeing from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and this thing. I don't think it's working, I, but it's okay. The first point is God is going to circumcise you. <laughs> Not in the same way. But the first point is this. God will. God is looking to circumcise you. Anybody who's like, okay, I'm done. 
this pastor wants God to circumcise me. I'm leaving this church now. That's why those red tapes are over the doors. You're stuck. You can't leave. Okay, I'm kidding, right? God wants to circumcise you, but God is close to you. And at the end of the day, the choice is yours. So if you don't want to get circumcised, it's fine, okay? Yeah, those things are just there to keep you here. So you reach the point where you know you have free choice. God's going to circumcise you, but God is close to you. And the choice is yours. Let's, let's start from this little oblique, strange one. First point, God is going to circumcise you. And Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now, here's, here's why I want to, I hope you are seeing this. Look, nobody circumcises hearts. Nobody circumcises. There's nothing in the heart. You can't circumcise a heart, okay? And now, maybe you're saying that, yeah, I know what the heart is like, right? The heart is muscle. You, know, you don't want to circumcise it. It's open heart surgery. Nobody does it. There's nothing you want to cut there. So you don't circumcise the heart. You don't actually biologically circumcise a heart. Oh, it's not jantong. It's not heart jantong. It's heart hati. It's the wellspring of your emotions and your feelings. That's what's going to get circumcised. What does it mean? to circumcise your heart. What does it mean that God wants to... God is, I thought that God in the Old Testament is only interested in me keeping the law. Have you heard that before? I've heard this before. I think you've heard this before. The God of Old Testament is angry and wrathful and judgy and all he's interested in is your law-keeping. And then the God of the New Testament is gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate and He's all about faith. And then you are, you are saying these two things and you are also saying, oh, the God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What's going on? Well, is God the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? If He's the same, yes, He's wrathful and angry and judgy and He's only interested in law-keeping, but here He's interested in forgiveness and, and, and what? Flouting the law? Is he, does He even flout the law over me? You know, why? Is he, is he gracious? Is He more gracious now than last time? Has He changed His heart? But He's the same. Yesterday, I don't get it. Pastor, help me out. Is this, a, is this what your pastors call theological problems? Is it? Actually, it is. You know what's the problem? God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it is bad theology to say that God, last time, last time, Old Testament, wrathful, angry, only interested in your law-keeping, and the New Testament, suddenly very gracious and loving and forgiving, and want to, everything is about, about setting you up to win. No! No! It's, it's weak theology, if not bad theology. Okay, so if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then He was. He had wrath, yes. He, he had judgment, yes. Does He say a lot of things about law-keeping? Oh yes, we've been in Deuteronomy, we know a lot of things. He's saying a lot of things about law-keeping. Is He merciful? Yes. Is He forgiving? Yes. Is He trying to set you up to win? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. Is he only interested in your law keeping? No. Even from then, no. Then what is he interested in? He has been interested in your heart the whole time. Not in your hands so that you may keep the law and puff up with pride inside. He has always been interested in your heart. And he say, oh, but here he's very gracious. Whoa. He is very forgiving. Whoa. Does he still have wrath? I don't think he's got wrath. No. He's gracious? Yes. Forgiving? Yes. Loving? Yes. Compassionate? Yes. Does he still have wrath? Yes. Dude, have you seen the cross? Does he judge? Does he have prerogative to judge? Yes. Have you spoken to Ananias and Sapphira lately? He is the same. He is the same. 
And if you sometimes don't see the judgment and the wrath in so much in the New Testament, guess what? It is because all of the judgment and all of the, of the wrath and all of that 70, how many verses of curses in, in Deuteronomy 28 alone, all of that and more is compacted and compressed and poured out once and for all on the cross onto Jesus' body and onto Jesus' soul. And it scalded him. It burned him. Burned him to the point that in Romans chapter 8, it says that, that he judged sinful flesh, sinful nature in the flesh of Jesus. So that what? The righteous requirement of the law might be met in us now who walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So if you're seeing that, why Macham so gracious, so gracious, it's because of Jesus. It's because of the cross. Church, are you thankful for Jesus on this day? But maybe you're saying, okay, show me something. Show me that the God of the Old Testament really is the same. I don't want you to talk. I just want you to show me Bible. I'm going to show you Bible. I said, He's always been interested in your heart. And He says here, God will circumcise your heart. So there was a flesh circumcision. Yes, Abraham's time until then already got flesh circumcision. And he, there are parts of the Bible where he seems to take the flesh circumcision very seriously. And we have to wrestle with that. But here, he's saying that, guys, I don't want you to just circumcise your flesh. I want you to circumcise your heart. You're like, how do you do it? How do you do it, right? And what's the point? So that. So that. Circumcise your flesh of your heart. No, circumcise your heart, not your flesh. So that, in other words, whatever comes after so that could not have been achieved from the flesh circumcision. That's why he says here, God will circumcise your heart so that. Because if the flesh circumcision could so that, he wouldn't need to say this. God's going to circumcise your heart so that you will love Yahweh your God. In other words, there is a sickness in our heart that clouds our ability to love Yahweh, our Lord and our God. It actually covers, it actually blocks our ability to feel a sense of love and adoration for God. And until you circumcise, and God circumcises your heart for you, your heart is diseased and it will not love God. It just will not love God. It's a rebellious heart and it will not love God. I'm going to show you more. Jeremiah 4, circumcise yourselves to Yahweh. Remove the foreskins of your heart. Your heart doesn't have foreskins. Your heart has no skin. It's pure muscle. But we know it's not that heart. Circumcise your heart. I'm going to show you Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. Deuteronomy, where is the law? Where is the law? Come on, church, where is the law? The law is on tablets of stone. The, ta the law is on tablets of stone. Now, in Jeremiah 31, he says, I will put my law where? In their hearts. I will write it on what? Their hearts. So no longer is he interested in law that is on stone. He's interested in law that is written inside you so that your obedience will no longer be externally driven and externally pressured. Your obedience to God will be internally motivated. It will come out of you like a natural desire. That's what heart circumcision does for you. You actually desire to obey Him. You actually like His law. You learn to love His law. And obeying Him is no longer a chore. It's no longer a drag. It is joyful. That's what happens when you give God access to your heart to cut out the disease. 
And I want to show you another one. It's beautiful. Read 4, Jeremiah 4, 31 and Ezekiel 36. Together, I'm going to show you. Ezekiel 36 looks like this. I will give you... Let's look at Ezekiel. Maybe, maybe this works. No, I know. Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, again, within you. I will remove your heart off stone. Tablets of stone written on stone. Heart written on heart. Now, the heart has become like that tablet of stone. The heart by Ezekiel 36 has become hardened. And now, God says again, now through Ezekiel, the metaphor is being changed a little bit here and there. He says, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of beating, pulsating flesh. Real, living, breathing, beating, bleeding flesh. I'm going to put my law inside you. I will place my spirit within you and listen to this. I'm going to put my spirit inside you. For what? So that what? So that what? Cause you to. You see that or not, church? You see the construction of the language? I'm going to give you a heart of flesh in exchange for the heart of stone. I'm going to put my spirit inside you and cause you to. Follow my statutes. Because until I transact with you, heart for heart, stone heart for heart of flesh, until I transact with you, you will not follow my statutes. That's why from all Old Testament verses, God has not only been interested in your law keeping, He's always been interested in your heart. And He still is interested in your heart Today, I will cause you to obey. I will cause you to love my law. And the psalm says, Psalm 119 verse 18, if I'm not mistaken, says, open up my eyes. Open up my eyes. Can you imagine Saul, the apostle Saul, many years later, saying exactly the same thing. Open up my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And Saul saw the law made flesh in front of him in blazing light. Open up my eyes that I may see beauty in Jesus. God has always been interested in your heart. Now, I'm going to tell you a parable right now. Do I have time? Yes, I do, a bit. I want to tell you a homespun parable, not a biblical parable, okay? Once there was a man and a woman. They both fell sick. They went to see the doctor. The doctor checked them, did all the tests on them, came back, and the doctor said, you have an extremely, well, you have a disease. You have a disease, and this disease is choking up your heart. And it's a very strange disease, because this disease sends pulses out of your heart. It's like a cancer, it's spreading, it's there. But it sends pulses out of your heart to your extremities, your limbs. And it causes your limbs to do bad things. It's like, what? So that's why I've been so bad. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. These men and women say, Doc, what can you do for us? I don't know how I'm going to get well. Then suddenly the hand starts acting up. Their feet start taking them to places they shouldn't go. Doctor says, I'm going to prescribe you a drug. This drug is called Legislation 2 milligram. Take Legislation 2 milligram every five times a day. And when you get better, you can drop it down to three times a day and so on and so forth, right? Just take this drug. What this drug, Legislation 2 milligram, is going to do is it's going to block. So every time the, the heart with its disease sends out pulses, to your extremities, this drug called legislation will block it. And block it. Have you ever played gala when you were kids? How many of you played gala when you were kids? Right? Badminton court, lines, you stand like this, and you block your... One team is trying to pass through, the other team is trying to block them, right? You played that before? 
Hey, y'all don't have childhood, right? Is it? Well, I'm so sorry for y'all. Y'all don't have childhood. I had a childhood. I played gala as a kid, okay? When you play gala as a kid, you're trying to block the opposite team from passing by. And you've got one person here, you're trying to block, and then the other guy pass you, right? That's called gala, gala panjang, okay? Legislation 2 milligram does that. It blocks the pulses going to your hands and feet that cause you to do bad things. It blocks it. And so, men and women start their medication. Not long after that, they come back to the doctor. They say, Doc, it's not working. It's not working. Somehow, I take this drug. I'm still doing bad things. Doc says, I think we need to up the drug. I'm going to give you legislation 5 milligram. And after two weeks of taking legislation 5 milligram, man is still doing bad things, but he's numbed out because this drug has numbed him completely. He can't feel. He's starting to lose his sense of feeling. Woman is starting to bleed. She's bleeding from the nose. She's bleeding from her ears. It's just, it's just a mess, right? She's a mess. Drug has side effects. One is getting numbed out. The other one is just in chaos and turmoil. Few more weeks later, they go to the doc. Say, doc, five milligram not working. What else do you have for me? We have to up the dose. Let's make this even more oppressive for those pulses going to your extremities. Legislation, 10 milligram. Let's do this. Come on, man. Come on, woman. Man is like, uh, whatever. Woman is like, uh, whatever, right? So they take this drug, and next thing you know, you have one man, totally catatonic, cannot feel anything anymore, still dying because his hands are still bringing him to sin. Woman is completely bleeding. She's on the ground. She's like in a pool of blood. Every time she gets up, she's still doing wrong things with her hands and feet. My friends, men and women go back and tell the doctor, you're a useless doctor. And on their way, on their way home, they meet another doctor. And the doctor says, what was that? Are they giving you legislation, 2 milligram, 5 milligram, 10 milligram, making it more and more heavy on your body? I'm going to do something else. Come with me. Brings them into an operating theatre. One after another cuts open their flesh through tissue, through bone, accesses their heart. One after another. Finds the heart completely diseased, hardened, crusty, sick, pussy, all over, dripping. It's a mess and it's crusted. New doctor starts cutting and cutting and cutting out all the disease, layer by layer by layer. Cuts out all of the disease until the heart is like new again puts the heart back in, closes it up. Man, woman, healed of their disease. They wake up, and guess what? The disease sometimes still tries to linger, and it tries to move, and it sends a pulse, and there are now no more blockers because legislation drug is no longer in their system. It goes all the way to their hands, the hand rejects the pulse. The hand says, no, thank you. I will not act on your instructions. I belong to a clean, new heart. I no longer act on the instruction of a disease. My friends, the law cannot make you righteous. The law cannot heal you of your disease. The law cannot, cannot make you desire to love God, to desire Him, to want good things. The law can't do that. The law can only try to block you from doing bad things. And still, it finds its way. It always finds its way through some back alley. Finds its way 
to your hands and feet. You know, church, there is a time and place for us to talk about legislation in other countries. There is a time and place to fight for legislation in our land. But I give you a higher call. Fight for the hearts of the women and men around you. Because God is in the business of fighting for the hearts of the women and men around you. No one ever became righteous because it was legislated into their hearts. Doesn't happen. And so, my friends, God desires to heal heal us of that disease. He circumcises our hearts so that He can heal us of that disease. And that's why a long time ago, Christians would gather in church like this and they would sing a song. They would sing a song that says, You sent your word and healed my disease. Now you know this song? You are the Lord, my healer. I am the Lord, says God. Come, let's sing together. That healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I sent my word and healed your disease. I am the Lord, your healer. And just like earlier in the worship set, the verses flip. And now we sing, You are my God that healeth me. You are my Lord, my healer. You sent your word and healed my disease. You are the Lord my healer. God wants to do two things to you. He wants to circumcise you, but He also wants to be close to you. He wants to cut off every disease in your heart, but He also wants to be close to you. He has always wanted to be close to you. Let's look at what the Bible says. For this commandment that I command you today, it is what? Not too hard for you. Neither, neither is it far off. But the word is very near. It is very near. It is close to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. It is near to you. Some of you say that Oh, no, 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 no. No, I really don't feel that. I feel God is so distant from me. I've been told by someone that God created this world. He made it in such and such a way and then He left. He left us on our own, to our own devices so that we can rot in this creation, this terrible, wicked creation. And where is He? I've called for Him. I've searched for Him. I've cried to Him. Where is He? And He says, I have always been active and present. But their hearts were far from Him. His heart was not far from them, but their hearts were far from Him. And He says, I'm going to crash into your world. I'm going to enter into space-time. I'm going to crash into your universe. And I'm going to occupy this space that I'm going to call the tabernacle. I'm crashing into your world. He comes into our world. He occupies this tent, a tent of all places, a tent. And he calls that place the tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, heaven and earth touch for the first time. Touch. Overlapping, intersecting, heaven and earth touch because God says, I'm going to be close to you. I'm going to be near to you. I'm going to be active and present with you. I'm with you. And time goes on and they say, oh God, why have you left us on our own? Because their hearts became far from Him. And they cried out, God, where are you? God, where are you? 
I don't feel you, I don't sense you. It's like you're so far. And he says, I've always been near to you. I've always been close to you. And he says, I'm going to crash into your universe. I'm going to come and occupy this place called the temple. Not just the temple, the holy of holies in the temple so that you can come in from the outer courts to the inner courts to the holy place. And then behind the curtain, there is a place called the most holy place. And there, heaven crashes into earth, intersecting between eternity and temporal living, intersecting between all of heaven and all of earth. God's manifest presence is there behind that veil. And He says, here I am. Is it not clear that I am with you? I desire to be near to you, close to you. And over time, they cried out, say, God, where are you? I cannot sense you. I cannot feel you. I don't know where you are. I really don't know where you are. It's as if you're so far from me. And God says, no, I've always been active and present in your life. I'm going to crash into you, your universe one more time. One more time. I'm going to crash into your universe through a dingy manger. It's going to be essentially, I'm going to come into you through a food trough. You thought the tent was bad. I'm going to give you, you pick a food trough. I'm going to enter into them. I'm literally going to be in a food trough where animals eat out of. And in that little space, all of heaven and all of earth is going to intersect fully God, fully man, in the person of Jesus Christ. God sends His Word to become flesh. The next slide says that. If you can click that for me. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And through that, He says, next slide, I'm going to show you how much I am active and present and how much I am with you. I'm going to give him a name. You're going to call him Emmanuel. And his name is going to literally mean God with us. I'm going to make it so literal to you that no longer will you say, where are you? I'm going to tell you, I am with you. I am with you until the end of the age, Emmanuel. I am with you. And then time passes and they say, God, where are you? We are so far from me. I don't know where you are. And he says, I'm going to crash into your body right now. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. I'm going to literally pour out a spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is now going to indwell you so that he's going to be indwelling in you so that now you become the tabernacle. You become the temple. You become the host of Christ. And now everywhere you go, God goes with you because God goes in you because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Church, He is close to you. Because He is close to you, His yoke is not meant to be heavy. That's why it says in Deuteronomy 30, let's look at the verse, right? For this commandment, that I command you today is not too hard for you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You can do it. You can do it. Not on your own, but because I am with you, Emmanuel, I am with you to the end of the age, you can do it. And so, church, live every day of your life with the participation of the Most High God, active and present in your life. He's not interested purely in your law-keeping. He wants your heart and He wants you to get through every trial, every circumstance that is trying to crush you. He is close to you. You can do it when He empowers you because the same God of the Old Testament who says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, is the same God in the New Testament who says, if I live by the flesh, I will die. But if by the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the flesh, I will, what? Choose life. I will live. I will live. God wants to circumcise you. God wants to be close to you. But finally, the choice is still yours. The choice is still yours. I call heaven and earth 
to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. If you are lost, choose life. If you don't know where you're going, choose life. If you're standing in the fork of the road, choose life. If, you've been, if you have an abusive childhood, please choose life. You may say, Pastor, it's a non-choice. Of course, everyone will choose life. Who is going to say, I choose death, I choose curses, right? But once you start populating the two boxes with things, you realize that it's not so easy to make a choice because there are a lot of things inside one box that's going to say, oh, come on, oh, come on, oh, come on. A little bit won't harm, a little bit won't harm, right? Let me bring this back to you. Remember the two boxes, the life box? The death box, Deuteronomy 27 onwards. 75 verses about the outcomes for those who choose death. 29 verses on the outcomes for those who choose life. And if some of you are good Bible students in SIBKL, you will say, Pastor, wait a minute, why is there a choice? I didn't know there was a choice. Because I've read Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and based on that, I kind of get the feeling that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I kind of get the feeling that once we were sinners, and when we were sinners, die right? I thought there was no choice. You are right. Once upon a time, you had no choice. Once upon a time, you did not have a choice. The only option after you sinned once. And you probably did it when you were a kid. So you can't reverse that. And you can't even say, oh, whatever, right? Once upon a time, you had no choice. The only option you had was death because you broke covenant with Yahweh your God. Once upon a time, this was the only destiny for every single one of us. Because we are all covenant breakers. Sixth floor, we are all covenant breakers. Fifth floor, online. And we are a covenant breaker. You have no choice. You heard Pastor Isaac preach last week that when you cut covenant, you literally tear an animal into two. And when you tear that animal into two, it is your way of saying that if I break covenant, may I be like this creature who's been torn into two once upon a time. We had no choice. But, thanks be to God, because Jesus took on death on a cross and He took on our no choice. He took on that death on a cross. He broke open a way so that now we can have life. He took on death so that we can have a chance for life. He exchanged for us. He exchanged his life for a tomb. He gave us life. He opened up that box again where once upon a time there was no box. It was not on the table. He made it an option again. Some of you, in your actual real life, you have stared down impossible situations. You have owed people money, a, a black hole so deep you thought it was impossible. You have been in trouble with the law. So messy, you thought it was impossible. You had a relational problem that was so wounding, you thought it was impossible for you to ever get back on your feet again. You had a sickness that was so debilitating, you thought it was impossible of ever to stand on your feet again. At one point in your life, you thought you had no choice. And then the God who healeth you sent His Word, healed your disease and opened up the box for choice again. He now gives you that possibility again. That's why the Bible says, for, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit, the Spirit of God, is what? Life. Life and peace. And I know this personally. And this is a very meaningful passage for me because once upon a time, a time I was, if you look at the red box, I had very volatile mood swings. I was 
18, 19, 20, 21, 22. I won't call it bipolar because I don't think it's fair to people who go through real bipolar, but I had really horrific mood swings. I would up, I would crest, and then I would, I would crash, and I would crest, and then I would crash. And I was super insecure. And at one point, I was suicidal. And I started to have spiritual attacks. I started seeing things, really frightening spiritual visions. I started seeing demonic visions. And a friend of mine said, can you come to church? There's a pastor I know who's like, he's kind of good with these things. Maybe uh, he can sit you down and, and he, he can help you understand what's going on. I went to church that Sunday. I turned away church for my whole university life. Right at the tail end of my uni days, all these things started cresting. I went to church. I sat down with that pastor after the service. He asked me, what have you done in your life? I told him, I've tried to cast magic spell. I played with spirit of the coin. I played with this spirit. I played that. I've gone to, I've gone to visit uh, uh, Indian Bomo before. I've gone to numerologist before. I've gone to palm reading before. I've done all these things before. I watch horror films. I do all these things. I do all these things. He said, brother, Given all the things you have done, I'm not surprised you're experiencing these things. In fact, I'm surprised it's not worse. You have seen a lot of things. You have had a lot of... You said, these things are demonic. I was like, really? Borderline offensive to me at that time. I said, really? But I was desperate. I said, really? Yes, these things are demonic. You don't know, man? These things are demonic. They are really accessing dark powers. But brother, today, the Bible says, he turns his Bible, lands on Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose you this day. I chose life. And day by day after that, these things started to leave me. I stopped seeing the spiritual visions. I, over the years, my spiritual attacks started to wane and eventually disappear. I learned how to have authority. I now have a strong sense of who I am. I now have spiritual courage so that I can stand before demons. I can stand before demonized people. I can stand before trials and trouble. And I can say it is not by my own strength. It is a God. A God. Yahweh, my God, is strong. He is powerful. He is here. He is active. He is present. He is for me. He is close to me. And He is going to help me to triumph over every single thing. My friends, choose life. Choose life. God loves you. That's what's in the life box. God loves you. God has a good plan for you. And on the other side is a cheap, flimsy counterfeit. You, for yourself, your own life, your own ways, your own way. You are the master of your ship, the captain of your soul, whatever lah. Go, go down that path. I tell you, it will not be funny. It will not be fun. It does not lead in life. It does not lead to life. Choose life. Once upon a time, we had no choice. But because Jesus took on the cross, He took on death, He opened up this box. I'm telling you, my friends, choose life. Church, I want us all to take a moment. I don't want to hype this thing up now. I want us all to take a moment. Take a breath. Invite the Holy Spirit to come into this place. Holy Spirit, please come into this place. It's all a lot of bluster if you don't come into this place. I don't want bluster today. I want the Holy Spirit to come into this place. Lord, Holy Spirit, please, please fill this place. Please come and visit every single one of our hearts. And maybe you're not a Christian, so you don't really know this thing about asking the Holy Spirit to come, and it's okay. I'm asking on your behalf. Holy Spirit, come. If you are not, if you don't call yourself a Christian, you 
don't identify as a Christian. You've never done this thing where you so-called give your life to Jesus. You make Him your Lord and Saviour. You invite Him into your heart. You've heard it before. You've been in church. You've heard people give an invitation before. You've always been a little bit like, eh, I'm not sure what this is. Maybe not. Maybe not now. Maybe not yet. But somehow today you ended up in church. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you are at a crossroad or not. I don't know if you are in a good place or not. I don't know if you have if you're facing trial and trouble that is searing or not. But I know this one thing. The God of the Old Testament, New Testament loves you. He's compassionate, He's kind, He's gracious, He's merciful. He has brought you here today to open up those two boxes again. And once upon a time, you had no choice. Today, you do. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you today to choose life. And you're saying, Pastor, I'm not sure what that means. I'll tell you one thing about what that means. It means you pledge your allegiance to Jesus. It means you pledge your allegiance to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know you, but there's something, I'm feeling something, I'm going to give you access to my heart so that you can come in and heal the disease. So I've tried a lot of other things. I've tried a lot of other things. And all the bad things I don't want to do, I end up doing it. And all the good things that I aspire to do, I end up not doing it. And I don't know how to fix it. I'm just like that. I'm broken. I'm damaged. I don't know how to fix this. Today, if you give your heart to Jesus when He has access to you, He will cut out the disease and heal you. That's what it means when I say, choose life. If today, for the first time ever, you want to choose life, I want you to stretch your hand all the way up. Stretch your hand. Sixth floor, Fifth floor, online, I see, I see the children with their hands up at the back. Let's not trivialize it when children raise their hands. Let's praise God for it. If anybody wants to choose life today, I want you to stretch your hand all the way up and say, Pastor, I'm not even saying this to you. I'm choosing life. If that is you, you've never given your life in full allegiance to Jesus before. Sisters, I'm not sure if you're raising your hands to pray or if you're raising your hands to choose life. But there are a couple of sisters with their hands up upstairs. And if you're choosing life today, praise God for you. Church, let's allow the Spirit of God to just rest upon this place, convicting hearts. If you've been far away from God, if you've been far away from God, later I want you to rise up, okay? Later, not yet. But those, if you're, if you're making Jesus your Lord, your Saviour, your life right now, I want you to just keep your hand raised so that someone will come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to walk you all the way to the front. It's okay. Someone will come sit next to you and they will just be with you. Okay? Be close to you, like how God is close to you. In a moment, we're going to sing. We're not just going to sing. We're going to praise. In a moment, we're going to cry out to God and we're going to say, Lord, this is my heart. It's got all kinds of mess in it. But I'm going to give you access to it, Lord. Can you come? I'm going to give you access, Lord. Change me. As only you can, change me. Here, Lord, my heart, in your hands, make me more like Jesus. Church, I want you to hold both hands open. And as you hold your hands open, I want you to offer your heart up to God. Just hold it up. And I know it's a vulnerable place to be, to put your heart in God's hands. 
but I want you to know you are safe in His hands. Let's not rush this moment. Holy Spirit, take my heart. I give it to you. Pray along with me. Holy Spirit, take my heart. I give it to you. Heal me of my disease. Heal me of my sickness. Circumcise my heart. Heal me of my sin. Make me new again. Cleanse me. Change my heart from a heart of stone. Take my stubborn heart. Give me a heart of flesh so that I will love your law. So that I will love obeying you. Lord Jesus, put this new heart back into me. In Jesus' name I pray. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. Amen.